Welcome to X's and O's with your hosts, Greg Cassell and Doug Farrar. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the X's and O's with Greg Cosell and Doug Farrar. I am Doug Farrar, editor of Touchdown Wire on the USA Today SMG Sports Media Group Network. And uh, the guy over there in the striped shirt is Greg Cosell, who's uh, hanging out at NFL Films. And, Greg, you're doing your summer scouting now. You're getting into some some college prospects for next year already. You're you're thinking ahead. Yeah, I like to do that. I try to probably get to maybe 75 or 100 guys. Um, of some of those guys end up not coming out. Some of those guys, things happen, as you know, Doug, and it doesn't work out. Uh, but then in a little while, in about a month, I'll probably dive into some NFL stuff um, because probably the same for you. Maybe it's different. I don't know. But for me with the NFL matchup show, I can't watch, let's say, one team's offense five, six games in a row during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like to do those kinds of things in the off season. You know, certain teams that interest me, like the Detroit Lions, for instance, are one team that I'll watch five or six games in a row, try to get a feel for Ben Johnson's offense and the the concepts. You can do that on either side of the ball with different teams. So I do that kind of leading up to the season. So uh, it's kind of my uh, my summer fun, as it were. Yeah, Uh, this is what because we're, you know, tape nerds. This is what we do on our summer vacations, alleged. Uh, (laughs) Let's uh, let's. In, in uh, today's episode, Greg, and we discussed this uh, yesterday, I want to get into five offenses that will look, I think, radically different in 2023 for all sorts of reasons. And I want to start with the Baltimore Ravens, who have two new receivers in Odell Beckham Jr. and Zay Flowers. Um, they also, and this is especially interesting to me, they have a new offensive coordinator in Todd Monken, who was in the NFL, then went to Georgia, then came back. And I want yep. to read you a quick quote. This is one of those things where you, you, you're in the NFL, you go to college, and then you come back, and it's what you've learned. And what Monken said is an introductory presser with the Ravens on February 21st. He said, I think the game has changed. The game has become more of a space game, using all 53 and a third yards, hat tip to Sid Gilman, and using the width and depth of the field, using space players and your skill players. Years ago, maybe it was inside the zone and run duo downhill, Now it's utilizing athletic quarterbacks, creating explosives, creating space. This is very much in line with what, you know, you and I have discussed and you know, and we've all looked at it over the last, say, five years. Creating and defending explosive plays are sort of the things of the concepts of import in today's NFL. And so much of that comes up from the college game. I am tremendously interested, Greg, to see what this offense looks like. I know you've been studying some Monken lately. Um, in the context of Lamar and, you know, the more compressed formations, two and three tight end sets with Greg Roman, how do you think the Bremen's offense will be different in 2023? And how does Lamar, as you've seen him develop, fit into that? Well, you know, it's funny, as you were reading that, my first thought was that Patrick Ricard probably said to his loved ones, I don't think I'll probably be in Baltimore this year. But um, anyway, um yeah, he's in a support group with some of the Seattle tight ends, which we'll talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think that what you're going to see a lot more of this year is, is based on what Todd Monken said and his worldview, is you're going to see a lot more spread offense. Now, spread is a relative term. Obviously, the 
because of the hash marks, the NFL game is a little bit different than the college game in terms of what spread means. The college game, obviously, the wide side of the field is extremely wide and very, very difficult to defend at the college level. The NFL wide side of the field is not quite that wide, but still you can do a lot more things. Um, So I think you'll see more spread formations, more wide receivers. Um, I'm not sure they have a running back with the possible exception of Justice Hill, who can split out, but they do have tight ends that can split out. They have Mark Andrews, they have Isaiah Likely, so they have tight ends that can certainly detach from the formation. I think you'll see more empty sets, and that also creates a lot of space for Lamar Jackson as a runner because you don't want to lose that. There's different ways to run your quarterback. Obviously, under Greg Roman, they ran their quarterback with tighter formations, quarterback power, you know, those kinds of things that were built more on tight formations. You can certainly run your quarterback out of spread formations. Some might even argue that's a better way to do it because the defense is so spread. Um, Monken got to that in that it's a long quote. And, and, you know, Stetson Bennett, he had Stetson Bennett running effectively. Can't think what's he going to do with Lamar Jackson? No question. Stetson Bennett's probably a little better athlete than people might think, but certainly no one is Lamar Jackson. Um, you know what I think when you spread the field like that, and another thing that I think will go with spreading the field is I think you'll see more no huddle tempo. And yes. no huddle tempo is really good for any quarterback because it forces the defense to have to get set. Uh, and it, it makes it tougher for the defense, number one, to communicate pre-snap, and number two, to create uh, pressure packages because the combination of spread and no huddle means they have to get to where they are And, you know, blitzes, they have to show. They have to declare those pressure concepts pretty quickly because they don't know when the ball is going to be snapped. Because no huddle tempo doesn't mean everything is quick. It could be quick. There's really three or four kinds of no huddle tempo. And, you know, some of it, you can stay in no huddle and then, and not snap the ball until there's two seconds left on the play clock. But Philip Rivers used to know do that. that. Yeah, the, Philip Rivers used to do that uh, later in his career with the Chargers. It was like watching an oil change, but it was also it was all no huddle. Sure. Um, so you know, I think that this theoretically and conceptually absolutely helps Lamar. It helps most quarterbacks, but you also have the running element with Lamar, which really helps because. Now, how does the defense deal with that, Doug? Because if you're spread and there's no huddle, it's really difficult to deal with Lamar Jackson and the running ability that he has. So, you know, I think I'm real curious to see how this plays out. Um, Obviously, they now have a bunch of receivers. Uh, Zay Flowers was one of my favorite receivers in this draft based on his college tape. He was was my receiver one. Yeah, he was was their first-round pick. Uh, You know, Bateman was their first-round pick in 2021. He's been hurt a lot, but, you know, he looks looked like a prospect. We really don't know about Odell Beckham, but they've got Nelson Aguilar, and wherever he's been, as long as he's not the guy, he's been a productive player. They have Duvernay, who's got speed, and they've used him in the past on jet sweeps, orbit reverses. Uh, you know, he has that kind of ability within the context of your offense. Um, Georgia did a ton of that stuff, by the way. They were really crafty with motion. No question. So I think you'll see a lot of motion as well. So this is one of the most fascinating, I think, makeovers that we'll see this year because with very few exceptions, I don't think it will look like last year's or or it won't look like a Greg Roman offense. Let's put it that way. 
and nothing against Greg Roman. Uh, I know he got bashed a lot. I, I thought that was not necessarily fair, but uh, it's going to be a huge change. Did you watch Keaton Mitchell, the running back from? Uh, I did not. I did okay. not. Uh, I happened to watch him based on some metrics I looked up. He's and the Ravens signed him as a UDFA. Um, can go to the slot occasionally out wide. Smaller guy, really fast. Broke a lot of tackles. He, you know, I don't know if he'll make the team, but when we're talking about running backs, you can sort of do that. He's he's a name that popped up in my head. Um, let's go to the Green Bay Packers, who have obviously a new quarterback in Jordan Love. Um, and last year, Aaron Rodgers, with two tight ends on the field, completed uh, 92 of 127 for 975, 478 air yards, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, and a passer rating of 108.9. Jordan Love last year had one uh, attempt, one completion, four yards. We don't really know. But <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're a lot of with love, we're just projecting because we have to. Um, the Packers, ninth in the NFL last year with 131 dropbacks, two tight ends. They lost Robert Tanyan, who was their main guy to the Bears in free agency, but they get uh, Oregon State's Luke Musgrave in the second round and uh, Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State in the third round. Um, obviously, LaFleur, you know, it, it, he wants two tight ends as part of his passing game. And the thing about Musgrave, who I compared to Darren Waller, and Kraft, who I compared to Dawson Knox, they're both athletic. They can both be explosive. I think Musgrave is more of the the vertical guy. Maybe Kraft is more of the blocker and the sort of do it all. But it's it's, it's fascinating to me that in creating a, a helpful passing game for a quarterback who's going to need it to a greater or lesser degree, they get these two guys to sort of, you know, they keep shining on the receivers and all that. But how do you think these two tight ends in particular will affect and assist Jordan Love? Yeah, I mean, it won't be a dramatic change from a personnel standpoint because 30% of their snaps last year did come out of 12 personnel, and that was the second highest percentage in the league. So from the standpoint, and again, that was also a function of the fact that they were trying to figure out the wide receiver position, which hopefully in their mind is a little more figured out. Watson's back. I think what we saw of Romeo Dobbs last year indicates that he could be a quality NFL wideout. They did draft Jaden Reed from Michigan State in the second round. You don't draft a wide receiver in the second round and and not expect him to play some kind of meaningful snaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, they did draft Musgrave in the second round, Kraft in the in the third round. Um, I liked both those players on tape. I think Musgrave has a little more of a vertical dimension to his game than Kraft. Um, you know, I think that with with free access off the line, that he has a three level element that he can run the seam, he can run those vertical routes, he can run crossers, overs. Kraft, I, I I really liked his tape as well. I thought he was a, a notch below in terms of athleticism. Uh, another South Dakota State uh, tight end uh, who's turned into a top five tight end in the league in Dallas Goddard. Didn't think he was quite at that level of athleticism, but not far below. You would expect drafting guys in the second and third round that they would play. I think what you're trying to do with Jordan Love is you're trying to create a situation where the use of personnel dictates defensive personnel, and then based on your film study, 
you know from what the defensive personnel is that's on the field what that means from a front standpoint and a coverage standpoint. And this is all done with film study. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to give Jordan Love as much information as possible based on your use of personnel. Um, And, of course, with the personnel of Musgrave and Kraft, both can be detached as well. So you're hoping that you get a feel for the defense based on film study, and that allows you to be more multiple with your formations out of 12 personnel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, well, you teed me up perfectly for the next one. Uh, Buffalo Bills traded up from 27 to 25. <laughs> Brandon being the GM said right after the Giants took uh, Deontay Banks with the 24th pick, he was on the phone with Dave Caldwell, the Jaguars GM, like, okay, we're ready to move because we need this guy. Uh, they get Dalton Kincaid from Utah, the best, in my opinion, the best tight end in this class, maybe the best pass catcher in this class. The guy's just ridiculous. But here, last season, including the playoffs, the Bills had 41 dropbacks with two tight ends. Only the Bengals. <laughs> were yeah, they were they were not real big with the, uh, the, the, the multiple tight end sets. So, but here's the thing. They gave Dawson Knox a four-year, $52 million contract extension, I believe, last, last September. And then they move up to take Kincaid. And I found it, I, I did a thing yesterday on uh, the, the scheme fit for that. And Brandon Bean was talking about not only Kincaid's specific ability to separate at the top of the route and, and, and gain definition in zone coverage, which he demolished, just killed zone coverage last year, but also how with, and, and you talked about this with the Packers, uh, with him and Knox, being talked about, yes, the Y in the formation, but when you start to detach and now you have these Y ISO looks, and I, we always think of Travis Kelsey, of course. Right, right. When you have those Y ISO looks, all of a sudden, and, and being specified it to you keep a defense in nickel when maybe they don't want to be, I think that what you said about the Packers also speaks well to the Bills, and especially in a situation where you know they signed Damien Harris they have two tight ends now, and they didn't run it at all. They are looking to redefine their offense, maybe so Josh Allen doesn't have to be Superman all the time. Well, uh, this, unlike Green Bay, this is a dramatic change. Yes. Because last year, the Bills had the lowest percentage of 12 personnel snaps of any team in the league, less than 4%. Okay? So now, you can call Kincaid whatever you want. They probably see him as a receiver um, mm-hmm. as opposed to a tight end. But – Again, now you get back to what the defense does. If they go with Knox and Kincaid on the field together, and they will, because you don't trade up to get Kincaid to sit him, um, and you and don't pay Knox, to sit, you don't pay Knox that like top eight tight end money to sit him either. They want it. They, I mean, they're going full out. Correct. You're 100 percent right. So they're going to play Knox and Kincaid together on the field. So now the the first question becomes. How do defenses match up? And different defenses might do different things. It will be dependent, of course, on on uh, down and distance. A number of factors, as you know, dictate how defenses match up from a personnel standpoint. And you mentioned something very interesting. Kincaid does have the movement ability to line up as that, you know, you called it YI, so he's essentially the boundary X, the single right. receiver to the short side of the field on the back side of trips. Now, Trips would include Knox because if you're lining up in 12 personnel, he'd be one of the receivers to the three-receiver side. So how will defenses match that? Um, One of the things that is really noticeable when you watch tape is defenses sort of have to give away some things when a tight end is that single receiver to the short side of the field. And you're always trying to give your quarterback 
as much information before the snap of the ball as possible. And that's one of the things that does it. Uh, but it starts with personnel. Will defenses stay base uh, or will they go with nickel? Now, you made a great point about Damian Harris. They also signed Latavius Murray. They drafted Osiris Torrance, who we both watched from Florida, who was basically more of a power-mauling offensive guard than a, a sort of dancing bear offensive guard. So right. this is a team, I think, that is somewhat committing to running the ball more than they have. And your point is absolutely correct. You can't ask Josh Allen, as good as he can be any given week, to be Superman every Sunday. It's just not a viable way to win every week. Well, the oxygen gets a little thin. Your window starts to close. And I think Bean is pushing the window open in a lot of ways. You mentioned and I, the, the the boundary X to the the one receiver side, you know, opposite of trips. You, you mentioned defenses have to show certain things. In a nutshell, what are those things? Well, the question is, is who's going to line up over that tight end? Um, right. Is that is it going to be a corner? Is it going to be a safety? Is it, Are they going to bump out a linebacker? All those things give you information as to what the defense is going to do. Don't forget, these teams spend all week studying the defense they're playing against. So they know when that happens, what's going to happen a high percentage of the time. Everything is based on probability and tendency. Now, is anything 100%? Of course not. But if something is 85 or 88% based on your film study, you feel pretty good about that. Now, defensive coaches are smart, too. Sometimes the defense wins, and then other things happen. But for the most part, you line up in a certain formation out of a specific personnel package, and based on the down and distance, you have a pretty good tendency probability of what you're going to get from the defense. Yep. Uh, Moving back to offense, uh, let's talk about the Houston Texans, hello, and C.J. Stroud. Um, Bobby Slowick, the new OC, comes from the Kyle Shanahan system, spent a long time with Kyle. So you can expect, you know, boot out of the pocket, pre-snap motion, 21 personnel. Shanahan didn't have a guy in Brock Purdy who could roll out credibly in 2022, but there was a reason they gave up, like, mansions to get Trey Lance. To meet Stroud with his ball placement, ability to read the field, underrated sense of how to attack defense as well on the move seems a natural fit. Um, CJ, St- two of the five most efficient quarterbacks with pre-snap motion last year per EPA were Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo. So that's what they do. Uh, CJ Stroud with the motion last season, 98 of 137 for 1,233 yards, 632 air yards, 17 touchdowns, one interception, and an FBS best passer rating of 135.7. And the thing I noticed watching Stroud in with motion, I guess the more rudimentary thing is to throw to the motion side. Stroud was really good at reading the backside of motion and saying, okay, where is the, where is the defender displaced by that motion? I'm going to attack that. So this sort of Shanahan-style offense with C.J. Stroud, I think it's a really good fit. Yeah, and, and again, you know, the Niners were – they may have, have led the league in use of motion. I'm sure Miami was up there as well. I know they were in that, of It's course. them, the Niners, and the Chiefs pretty much alternating. Yeah, and of course we know why the, uh, the Dolphins were because Mike McDaniel has – until last year, I think Mike McDaniel's been with Kyle every year of his NFL life yeah. until last year when he became the head coach of the Dolphins. But, you know, motion is one of those things that, again, you know how the defense will respond based on your tape study. Um, 
And your quarterback has to be comfortable with all that. I mean, you can go back years. You and I both know that Peyton Manning didn't want motion at all because Peyton Manning wanted the defense to be static. And he felt really comfortable with, hey, I see what the defense is. I know exactly what I'm getting. I can attack it. I don't want the defense moving, you know, three seconds before I snap the ball. Um, right. So your quarterback has to be comfortable with that. Ben and Roethlisberger did, and Matthew Stafford, by the way, also. And these are three, you know, Manning, obviously, Roethlisberger, obviously, Stafford, probably. We're talking three Hall of Famers. So just because you don't like motion, that, that's not an indictment. Or no, no, no. There's a, th- this is not a, a good or bad. This is just a comfort thing. Right. Um, you know, and I think that Stroud, based on the numbers you gave, you know, he's used to motion. But again, the college game is a little different because of the wide side of the field. But he's obviously been in an offense that utilizes and deploys motion. So it's not as if this would be brand new. The question, what he has to learn is how opposing defenses will react to it. It's different in college football. So, uh, but at least he knows that, Hey, motion exists. I I know how to deal with it. Um, You know, it'll start with the run game there. I imagine because they have Damian Pierce, who's a, you know, we both like him a lot. You loved him. He was your number one back a year ago. Yep. Um, they signed Devin Singletary, who probably fits best in kind of a complementary role. Um, well, you know, he's a slasher who can also align in the slot, so he's yeah. Different. So, so I mean, I think he fits there. They don't. They certainly don't have a fullback quite like Kyle Uzcheck. Not many teams do, um, yeah. but they do have a fullback. You know, Troy Hairston has been in this league, and he's been a a an I formation fullback. So, if they want to line up that way, they can. Um, but you know, I think. For Stroud, the play action element here becomes really, really critical because play action, particularly when the quarterback is under center, play and and this is something he'll have to learn more of. He's done a little of this, but he'll have to learn that because turning your back to the defense is a learned trait. People don't think of it that way, Doug, but it is a learned trait because you're taking your eyes off the defense. And amazingly enough, the defense may not be in the exact same spot when you turn your head around as they were before you turned your head. So I would say if they were, you might want to have a talk with your defensive coordinator and say, hey, let's uh, do some things. Right. So normally – um, you, you're asking your quarterback to really look at one guy when he snaps his head around because time now becomes a factor. You can't expect him to try to pick out three or four guys on defense. And based on your play call, you, you're essentially asking him to read one guy and, and he's working off that guy. But still, it's an uncomfortable feeling to turn your head to the defense when everything happens so quickly. So C.J. Stratt will have to get comfortable with that. But play action will be a significant part of what they do. One of the things that whenever you talk to defensive players about the Shanahan offense, they say that the marriage of the run game concepts and the play action off those run game concepts looks exactly the same. So it's really difficult for second level defenders. Yes. It's not the run that sets up play action. It's the threat of the run and the concept of the run where the defense has to wait. You have to hesitate for that little bit. Well, and that's why play action to me, and you know, I don't know if every single number and statistic shows this, but I think just from a conceptual and tactical perspective, play action under center to me is more effective than play action in the gun for this reason. When you're under center, it takes longer to get to the mesh point. So right. second level defenders have to wait longer when it's 
gun play action. The play action happens almost instantaneously, and defenders can see it immediately and either it's a run and they react to the run or they see it's not a run and they can more quickly get to what their pass coverage responsibility is. It takes longer with the quarterback under center, so they do have some uncertainty there. I think the only offset to that, like you said, is if you're not comfortable turning your back and then coming back with a different picture. And I don't want to mention certain quarterbacks, but we all know who they are. It's just not quite as good. Uh, Stroud, by the way, last year in play action of all kinds, uh, 70% of his passes, 18 touchdowns, two interceptions. So there you go. Uh, Pretty good. He's pretty good. Uh, So we're going to finish today, Greg, with the Seattle Seahawks going three receivers. Jackson Smith and Jigba with the 20th overall pick. They ran a lot of two tight end sets last season. Uh, 447 dropbacks with three receivers. And that it was Marquise Goodwin and Dwayne Eskridge, kind of guys, uh, right. 21st in the league. But Geno Smith had a pass rating of 97.8, which was the fourth, fourth best in the league behind uh, overall. The Seahawks were fourth best in the league behind the Lions, Dolphins, and Bengals in three receiver sets. Um, now, at, you know, when we say you don't take a guy 20th overall to play him, you know, 14% of the time. I compared Smith and Jigba to Cooper Cup. A, a friend told me that he compared himself to Cooper Cup, so I guess that works. Um, how does he fit in? And I, I think we can agree he's more than just a slot guy, but how did he fit in his attributes, this Shane Waldron passing game, Geno Smith, and Smith and Jigba with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. How do you kind of over time see that playing out? Well, I mean, you would think it would play out well, quite honestly. Um, yeah. yeah you know, I mean, they're all three good. We know that. You know, Smith is I mean, a great you know, vertical passer. I guess, but like, I guess I don't see, you know, sort of a big problem there. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but, no, this to me is – it's going to be interesting as to what um, – what they do, because last year they had the third highest percentage of 12 personnel in the NFL. And yeah. and Geno Smith was outstanding throwing the football out of 12 personnel. I mean, he had the second most uh, – uh, this would surprise people. He had the second most pass attempts out of 12 personnel behind only Patrick Mahomes. That might surprise people. But he the was Chiefs, out- Yeah, the Chiefs had the most 13 personnel last season. I know, I know. The they Chiefs were, they were local- not what you thought they were. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. Um, but Geno Smith completed about 75% of his passes last year out of 12 personnel, um, and and they were really, really good out of 12 personnel throwing the ball. But they obviously felt that they needed to increase their explosive play element, um, or they wouldn't have taken Smith Najigba with the 20th pick in the draft. Because uh, now when you dr- you take him, and so people understand, he only played about 60 snaps in 2022 due to injury. But in 2021, 104 of his 113 targets came out of the slot. Now, I personally think because of his size and his ability to separate as a route runner that he can play outside as well. And that's fine because Tyler Lockett can play in the slot, as we know. He's yes. done that much of his career. So they certainly have versatility with Lockett and Smith Najigba in how they can align. But the larger point is I would expect that their percentage of 12 personnel would decrease and their percentage of 11 personnel with three wide receivers would increase. And I think that's a good thing because I love Smith Najigba. I thought he was what we like to call a separation generator. He was so good at the top of his route stem in creating separation, getting – 
getting uh, defensive backs off their spot. He may have been the best in this draft at doing that. I guess the, the kind of the macro question with it changing from 12 to 11, and we talk about tight ends as receivers and maybe some receivers functioning. Can Smith and Jigba function in some I, – if this, I hope this question makes sense in some tight end type roles, because I, I like Brandon being compared uh, Dalton Kincaid to Cole Beasley in his ability to right. sort of figure things right. out in short spaces, we, and that's what I'm thinking the, that maybe sometimes tight ends are used as receivers and vice versa. You mean can you line up tight to the formation? Is that essentially what you're asking me? Uh, more tight end type routes, more that um, you know, like what Bean said about Kincaid, finding the separation at the top of the route, doing things like that, that are yeah, valuable I mean, among the they used to look, One thing that, that the Seahawks did a lot of last year, as you well know, being in Seattle, is they did a lot of boot action where tight ends would work across the formation oh, yeah. and they'd get, get them the ball like Noah Fan, who was very good run after catch. You could certainly see Smith Najigba, you know, off of that kind yeah. of movement, catching the ball with room to run. He's very so good run after catch. So it's X throwback instead of Y throwback, basically. Yeah, but, I mean, he's working to the same side as the boot. Oh, okay, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, he's working across the formation to the boot side, and you try to do that off-run away from the boot so you create okay. space for the receiver when he catches gotcha. the ball. Because even though Smith Najigbe is not vertically explosive, he's very good run after catch. Um, so you might see those kinds of things. In other words, plays that were built for a tight end, but that Smith Najigba could run with no problem at all. Um he certainly can line up tight to the formation as well. We saw that at Ohio State. You know, yep. he can work inside uh, because he's very good separating. Um, so we'll see. I think you'll see a lot of the same concepts, and then they'll add some concepts because certainly Smith Najigman, I'm not saying this to be sarcastic, but certainly Smith Najigman gives you more than Disley or or a Parkinson. You know, Fan obviously is a different cat a little bit because yeah. he's got some vertical speed. But, you know, Smith Najigman gives you more than Parkinson or, or Disley, who, who were very good players within their system when they went 12 and 13 personnel. Yeah, I just I wanted to kind of separate the the twelve personnel versus the twelve concepts as opposed to the eleven. Personnel. I mean, I think you could Sometimes do something. Yeah, you can do some things for sure. Just replacing Smith Najigba with a tight end. I mean, or, or replacing a tight end with Smith Najigba. Yeah, and by the way, he also created a couple of explosive plays out of the backfield. And I'm thinking, well, what if he's no in the backfield? Question. And Kenny McIntosh is in the slot, or what if they flip pre-snap and it's like, okay, now it gets weird. I mean, what happens on on third and seven if you let's say line up with uh, Gino in the gun, flanked by McIntosh and Smith Najigba? You know, mm. you could certainly see that kind of thing. You know, look, defenses. Whenever you see and you notice this immediately, whenever you see a wide receiver offset in the backfield, you start seeing defenses pointing. You know, before the snap of the ball. Uh, because essentially they're now they should have a plan for that, but it, it's still when it happens, it is a little bit of a surprise. Even well, the rules, ha- the rules have to change because the rules change when you, you see something that you see like 0.2% of the time. Right. I mean, it's rules change, but don't change. Most teams will deal with, let's say it's, let's say it's a two by two set, for instance, and you have a receiver offset in the backfield. Most of the what the rule normally is is they just view that as trips, trips mm-hmm. to whatever side he's offset to, and they right. play their trips rules. He's just coming from a different spot. Now that does create a little bit of a change, but it sh- it doesn't create 
or it shouldn't create based on your film study during the week. I'm speaking defensively now. It shouldn't create a dramatic or drastic change, but it right. can because it's still, you know, it's just different for a moment. And just that moment of hesitation can be a problem. Well, one thing I noticed about uh, Smith and Jigba is that he would line up uh, like offset pistol and then go to the other side. So off of and the route would go to the other side. So I guess the rules may change more in, in a case like that, as opposed to just going up from the side you're on. But uh, that's just, that's just stuff that happens in my head. It'll be interesting though, because he did line up in the backfield on occasion. And I think you'll see that as well. Yep. Well, Greg, great stuff as always. Uh, it's five offenses that should look radically different in, uh, in 2023. One thing that's always the same, Greg, we appreciate your, uh, your time and your wisdom. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Doug. 